Welcome to a new edition of the Neon Jazz Interview Series with Mr. Bongo, composer, conductor, and drummer, the legendary percussionist Jack Costanzo. Over the course of our conversation, this man well into his 90s is as fluid as ever. He talked about seven trips he made to Cuba, dreaming of being a dancer and being one with his wife, gigs with the best in jazz like Stan Kenton and Frank Sinatra, along with teaching the bongos the big shots in Hollywood like Tony Curtis and Marlon Brando. He is in the middle of a lot of action these days, both live shows and laying down his biography. And he spoke about his life and a big dose of honesty. It was refreshing. Please get ready to know Jack and dig this interview, my friends. This is Mr. Joe. Thank you for taking some time to talk with me. I would just love to talk to you about your life in jazz. It's a very interesting tale, to put it mildly. And I would just like to spend a little bit of time just kind of talking about your career from the beginnings to, to today. It's been going like that for three days now. So I did a concert uh, Friday, and uh, we've, we've gotten so many things on the Internet. You ought to get on it because you'll find out a lot of stuff. I definitely will. The one thing I want to ask you is, what's been going on with shows and activity lately for you? Not very many. I, I gotcha. did one Friday, and it was very, very good. I'm, I'm quite old, you know. I'm not doing concerts much anymore. Well, let me go back into your life a little bit. You grew up in Chicago. Right. What was it like to grow up in Chicago? What kind of things were going on that really made you want to get into music and jazz? I lived in in what was considered Little Italy in those days. A lot of bootlegging was going on, a a lot of uh, gang things. This was before uh, the, the appeal of the law of prohibition. You're too young for that, Joe. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I am. <laughs> it, it was very, uh, what's the word? There's a, a lot of bootlegging and a lot of shooting going on when I was that, quite young. My family wasn't mafia, but there was stuff going on anyway. <laughs> <laughs> well, let me ask you this. Did the bongos pick you or did you pick the bongos? I picked the bongos. I was in. A, I, I was. A, I was dance, going dancing in a ballroom called Mary Gardens in Chicago, and they in her they brought a band from Puerto Rico to the to the to the ballroom, and he he was there for two weeks. Anyway, the drummer on one song came up and played bongos, and I was hooked from then on. Now, when you were a kid, what did you dream about being? Did you always think about music, or was there something else? Dancing. And I did become a dance. My first, my wife and I were a, dan- a professional dance team for, for for about three or four years before the war broke out, and, uh, and that's what I wanted to do. I was, but I used to use the bongos in our act when she took a, a, a dance solo. I'd follow her footwork with the bongos, and that's kind of like I helped me to be, to learn to play bongos because there was no one to teach me. Well. And it seemed like you got a really good lesson. I've, I've been there seven times now, and I love it to death. Talk to me about playing in the early days, and now I hope I'm in the right decade here, about the 40s with Desi Arnaz and Renee and the Cuban boys. What was it like to really kind of start getting your career going and playing with talent like that? Well, I, I was a beginner, number one, and the reason they were choosing me was they had no other choice in, in Los Angeles. There were no bongo players. But it was very good for me because I learned to play quite well. And uh, it was exciting. 
and especially the Lacuna Cuban boys, because they were internationally famous. They were not very famous in this country, but I I got a lot of attention. Of course, I got the most attention with Stan Kenton. And then you went on to play with Peggy Lee and Charlie Barnett, Frank Sinatra. What, what was it like in that heyday to play with people like that? It was wonderful. It was wonderful. I, I was in my glory. I, I started, <clears throat> excuse me, I was with Latin bands, and then Stan Kenton came in and offered me the job to go with the band and we introduced bongos into conga drums, I mean, into American music, and later conga drums. And that was very exciting. I mean, I, I, I was a guy that no, nobody knew from anything, and all of a sudden I was a big star. It was, <laughs> it was great. Yeah. Well, not only did you play with a lot of stars, you taught stars like Tony Curtis and... Um, Marlon Brando. What was it like to teach the bongos to people like that? It was exciting. It, it, it was exciting, and uh, Dad, you don't have to talk so close. Come when on, I come when I was teaching somebody like Gary Cooper, it was it was uh, uh, what's the word? Very fulfilling. <laughs> Were they easy students, or was it difficult, or was it natural for them? Most of the stars that I taught. We're, we're taking lessons because they were going to use the bongos in, in the movie. Let me ask you this. When did you – it mentions in your bio, and I apologize if I'm getting years wrong here, it said that you came out of retirement in 1998. How long were you retired for? I was not retired, and I don't know where they got that from. Okay. Well, I'm glad we're clearing that up then. Yeah. I didn't get to – I wasn't doing any recording in those years, but uh, certainly I did not retire. So – the one thing that's very evident in your music is that you love Cuba. What do you love so much about Cuba? I love its people. I love the music. I love the dancing. I like all that stuff. I, I love the way they they, they handle themselves. Uh, <clears throat> excuse me. I, I walk down the streets and they say, hello, how are you? And they're very friendly. I like all that. And, of course, I love their music. Let me ask you this. You've taught people the bongos you've been a very good teacher in your life who would you say has taught you the most about life oh goodness i don't know if anybody taught me i was pretty self-taught in playing bongos and dancing and uh, everything else <clears throat> i don't know who, what what to say to you i don't know of anybody being any influence to me uh, so that they influenced my life i can't think of anybody that did that I was dear friends with a lot of people that were very big stars, and but you know they were they were too busy to be teaching the bongo player something about life. <laughs> so let me ask you this: Who would you consider people that you have admired the most in music? Who had a really big influence on you and the way you approached your way of making jazz? When I joined Kenton, everything happened. I yeah. mean. Uh, Nobody. We we opened the door for using Afro Cuban uh, instruments in the jazz, and that was very exciting because playing Birdland and on Mondays and sitting in with all the great players was a was really a great thing. And uh, I was in New York so many different times, playing at the Paramount Theater with Nat King Cole, with Stan Kenton, many times, and each time we were there. We were there for three and four weeks. So I had a chance to really get around 
and uh, mix with the musicians, some of the great ones like Miles Davis and uh, Fats Navarro, uh, Lester Young, those kind of people. It was very invigorating. I, you know, I've talked to folks that have been in that time period, and they tell me that you were just making music. You didn't realize Miles Davis was going to be Miles Davis. You didn't realize what the world was going to make out of these musicians. Is that the way you felt? You were just doing your thing, and now in 2015 it's a big deal? It was a big deal, yes. When I think about it now, it's still a big deal. It was a big deal being around people like Max Roach and uh, uh, Dizzy Gillespie and Charlie Parker. They were people that they didn't mean to teach me, but they taught me. Well, you know, we're coming from the home of Charlie Parker, and it seems like every time I talk to someone, they talk about the influence that Charlie Parker had on them. And I'm, to be honest with you, I'm always blown away by everybody mentions him. Did you see that about Charlie Parker? Do you think that he's one of the most influential jazz musicians of all time? He was, he was, <clears throat> Charlie Parker was a very influential musician. That's, he had, he had some problems that I'm sure, you know, that the music world knew about, and that was not very good. But he was probably the best player that I can think of on his, on his instrument for bebop. What is the greatest thing? You've, lo- you've lived a very long, fruitful life. A lot of people probably don't make it as long as you do on this planet. What's the greatest thing about waking up every day? When you wake up and start moving around, what, what's wonderful about waking up now in your 90s? You sure you want to know? <laughs> when I wake up, I just hope I'm going to wake up again the next day. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> That's not the biggest thing, Joe. Yeah, no, that's cool. That's that's what I was going for. I just wanted a confirmation for sure. Um, you know, you've been around. You've seen a lot of jazz shows. You've been a part of a lot of jazz shows. Was there ever a musician that you didn't see that you wanted to see live? Oh, there were a lot of musicians I didn't get a chance to see that I would like to have seen. Uh, you know, big bands, especially uh, Jim Lunsford and... Uh, Cab Calloway, now, I did get to, to be with uh, Duke Ellington a lot. Yeah. And, uh, so there were some bands, but there were bands that I didn't get to see that I would love to have seen. And, uh, yeah. Like, like a drummer with Jimmy Lunsford. Very cool. So let me ask you a simple question, but it really kind of... You haven't gets... asked me a simple one yet. <laughs> <laughs> well... I guess I'm setting myself up here. It's simple because it's very few words, but it means a lot. Why do you love jazz? It's a, it, I, I, I like jazz like everybody that likes music likes music, uh, Joe. It's no different. The only yeah. thing is mine's from a different perspective. You know, I was involved within jazz. But you remember, you've got to remember, jazz has been going around for a long time before I became on the scene. Yeah. And, uh, it, what I did was I I brought a new element to the to the jazz music. They'd never used Afro-Cuban instruments in jazz before, so I did have that. And people, not everybody liked it. There are jazz guys that don't like it, uh, uh, Afro-Cuban instruments in the jazz. There are, are, are quite a few that don't like it. 
And I say tough. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. So this is my final question for you, sir. As the legendary Mr. Bongo, when you look back on your life and all of the years that you have given to jazz and all the music you've given to the world, how do you want the world of jazz to remember you? You know, I'm not. I don't think I'm much different than anybody else. That they don't. They don't. I like my. I like the fact that I got a lot of publicity through my uh, through my uh, career. I want them to think of me. I think as what I was. I didn't drink. I didn't smoke. I didn't. I, I didn't do drugs. I never did any of those things. I'd like them to know that you can do what I did without indulging in those kind of things. That's what I would like. Perfect. Jack, it was a pleasure to speak with you. Thank you for all you've done for jazz, and thank you for taking a little time with me today. Oh, I'm glad. Thank you, Joe. Thanks for listening and tuning in to yet another Neon Jazz interview, where we give you a bit of insight into the finest players in New York, Kansas City, L.A., and spots all over the world, giving fans all that jazz. And special thanks to Jack for his time with Neon Jazz, his inventiveness, and all that scorching good music. If you want to hear more interviews, go to Famous Interviews with Joe Domino on the iTunes Store or visit theneonjazz.blogspot.com for all things Neon Jazz. Until next time, enjoy the music, my friends. Neon Jazz.